pairing to live stream your meeting. This Here it goes. And now here's my message. Okay. And I just accepted. Okay. All right. So it's got the little thinking bar. It's, okay. Now it's, streaming live on YouTube. Okay. So perfect. I see it too. All right. Well, it looks like we may be live. So hello. Hello. I have anybody who's watching. And hello, Christine. Hello, Leslie. It's good nice to, to see you again. Yeah, yeah, good to see you too. Thank yes. you so much for uh, being open to having this discussion and trying out this live thing. Yes, I absolutely. I mean, this is great. I love trying new platforms and ways of getting information out and um, being able to have wider discussions that way. So I hope um, we can continue to do this and just bring more awareness to what's going on in our field. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was, um, you and I talked, I, well, it must've been late October when we first connected. It was like right after I put out the video about my experience at Antioch. Yes. And we connected because you were a professor at Antioch. Yes. And was that the California campus in, in person? Yes. yes. Okay. It was the in-person uh, uh, until COVID, but in-person really primarily. Um, and it was at the Los Angeles location and the department of clinical psychology pretty much funded almost all the other programs. It was extremely okay. popular. It's a very, very popular program in the Andrew. area. Yeah. And so other programs were able to kind of hang on that may have not had enough funding because we were able to do that. So it was okay you know, it's recognized as being a pretty thorough and, and, you know, high standard program of clinical psychology, teaching people how to be psychotherapists rather than focusing on researches and uh, researching papers and mm -hmm. studies and all that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of looked at in a, in a pretty high regard um, in the field. Yeah, that, that, that is something I wanted to ask you about because that was my impression as well. I've had a lot of feedback from people in, yes. my, in the comments on some of the videos that I've made saying, why did you choose Antioch in the first place? They've always been so radical. They, but I didn't really, I didn't think that they were, I felt like there was a real shift. And I, I wonder that what was. was your, how long were you teaching there? What was your experience of that? Yeah, no, that's a good point because I went to school there. That's another piece of this sort of puzzle, right? To kind of talk about how the shift happened because I also, as a student, knew what Antioch was like in 2004. Mm -hmm. So okay. where are we? That's okay. almost 20 years ago, right? Yeah. So wow. that's, yeah. I think that's old. Yeah, 2004, 2005 okay. for sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so between there, Oh, four, Oh five. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they, there was discussion, but I think, you know, the concept of what diversity was and what, you know, um, social justice or whatever, you, mm -hmm. you know, they, they kind of packaged it more as a cultural competency. Mm -hmm. And the idea in the beginning, because I had to take the, you know, society and individual one the the professor of that class. Okay. And that's one of the classes that have become extremely so social justice oriented it's just mm. act straight up activism now okay yeah back then it really wasn't to that extent he the, the professor that i had was one of the little rock nine so he was one of the first group of black students 
to integrate into a white school. Okay. So he was just legendary and he mm-hmm. had just such an amazing, you know, life and, and history. And so that class, I, you know, there wasn't a com- competition about who has it worse or who had what experience or overall labeling or branding anything or anybody. We didn't use words like oppression. We didn't use words, you know, woke, obviously we didn't use that. He was really interested in keeping us focused on talking about our experiences in the world as people that are complex, that have nuance, Mm -hmm. different shades of gray and different, you know, life is very rarely black and white in general. And so he really encouraged that. So there was a lot of support for that. It was about, listen, you know, now that you're learning about yourself and now that you are connecting and listening to other people's stories, that'll hopefully enrich you, hope widen, you know, broaden your perspective as a therapist. Mm-hmm. So great. And then, you know, they start incorporating diversity, mm-hmm. which in the beginning, again, you know, it was all about, you know, being aware that our way of thinking in the Western world will say may not be exactly the way people are you know, thinking that are from other parts of the world, other parts of even our own country. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was the idea was to be curious and wondering and ask questions and learn because, Hey, you know, you can't assume anything just by looking at somebody, right. Walk, you know, sitting down in front of you, you can't make these assumptions. So, so that Mm -hmm. concept was great. Mm -hmm. That concept sounds very reasonable. That sounds like the way that the, the way that I would have yes. hoped things would have been taught. This, yes. Until yeah. it turned into some other bigger I, machine, I, weaponization, if you will, but almost, I, I would say exploit that idea was exploited, I, mm-hmm. I guess I would say, and exploited other people. Eventually it was almost used as the backbone for a political movement rather than for the sake of understanding that you're going to be seeing people who have different experiences than you. And let's talk about how that might show up in the room. That's how it was handled mm-hmm. before. Uh, but it turned into, like I said, it's kind of the backbone of an actual movement in many. Yeah, ways. It, it very much does. It seems like it's this, this, this core of something that we do need to address that does should be acknowledged, especially in this particular context, you know, you're going to be working with people who are coming to you, um, needing a place of trust and, uh, you know, kind of a, a special relationship where they, you're going to be asked to understand lots of aspects of this person's experience and character and, and just their, their life. And so to have this thorough exploration of what it means to be a person and what the potentials are and the, the different backgrounds and, even just demographics and how things can shift for people depending on certain life experiences and characteristics so that that has been it all that nuance has been repackaged in this really black and white thinking and I don't mean that I that sounds like a a bad pun but I I mean you know rigid yeah yeah very rigid absolutely so when did you start to see that shift so yeah so I you know it was I was working in grief for most of, you know, my career, I would say uh, at least my, the early part of my career. Mm -hmm. So I was working in a grief support center and I was 
kind of promoted up the ranks there. And, and part of that job entailed teaching about grief, these, the different model, not looking at what has been done, the stage model, but understanding grief through a totally different lens and, you know, broader, you know, experience uh, to, to not kind of, mi- I guess, minimize it into the stage process thing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, having had, you know, my mom die when I was really young, I was in my early twenties uh, mm-hmm. from horrible illness. I understood grief in this really profound way because it had already happened to me. And so I was very much, and I went to a support group at the very same place that I oh. went to, to go back and work at. So it was just a lot, one of my loves in, in the profession was really that particular area. And mm-hmm. so I was really eager, you know, to, to be able to work at a grief support center. The one I went to when I had my mom die and, uh, eventually be able to teach about grief. So what we did is, you know, we had tons of CEUs that we created continuing education mm-hmm. unit classes. Mm-hmm. We had, we were training USC and UCLA medical students on how to talk about terminal illness and dying and death in a sensitive and direct way, compassionate, I should say, and direct way. So all of that was a part of, you know, what we were doing. So I got an opportunity to teach quite a bit because of so much, you know, the the, the desire for um, therapists to get some kind of grief training and we were providing it. So that to me was just, you know, kind of a blessing. I loved it. So when Antioch, I guess it was around 2016 or 17, uh, I had heard that they had decided to create a grief class and they did. And so they came to us at, um, our house where I was working initially and said, Hey, we have this you know, new class that we're starting and it's, we need a professor and we know you're a grief support center, pretty good reputation, et cetera. Who do you have? Well, kind of one thing led to another and I ended up applying for it. Uh, and then I think they'd hired someone anyway, long story short, they reached out to me a year later and said, listen, the person we went with mm-hmm. before we spoke to you didn't work out. Mm-hmm. We meet you. So met with them. Great. Wonderful. Okay. You're off and running. And I was able to develop the materials. There was already some curriculum there that I liked, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of autonomy. So as an adjunct, it in general, they had, you know, there's a lot of autonomy. There was a lot of autonomy in how you wanted to teach. There was a lot of trust put uh, behind the professors based on the fact that most of them were still practicing as well. So, um, so I walked, you know, kind of in, in with that kind of mindset. And one of the big things was that we never ranked grief. We never said whose was worse or better. That yeah. was something that we really emphasized, even with the, the, you know, curriculum courses that we were, uh, you know, providing to nurses and to social workers and therapists and all of that, people that are going to work with grievers. We were very clear that ranking pain is... Yeah. Uh, you know, completely disenfranchising, you know, that person's experience and all of those things. So being so hardwired to not rank Mm -hmm. and to not think about one person experiencing a death of a loved one being worse than another, uh, because there's a lot of complicated factors Mm -hmm. around grief and Mm -hmm. when somebody dies and all of that. So 
I walked in to that class in 2017 with that, you know, that, that vision, that perspective, which I still hold dear. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, you know, it was fine. I mean, I, you know, I taught the class, people were engaged, they loved it. I think my evals, I, I almost got a hundred percent, you know, on people's enjoyment of the class. The feedback was incredible. So they said, Hey, would you mind filling in uh, and teaching another class? And I said, okay, you know, and I started kind of moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Now, when I did first notice it was in 2017, even though I was teaching grief, I had heard some students on a the break, I think, uh, during one of my classes talking about the protest, because at that point that was April of 2017. So Donald Trump was just elected. Okay. President yeah. And just inaugurated in January. Here I am in April. And they started talking about all of these protests and the big, you know, movement on campus for people to organize and to come together and to protest. And they were allowing, according to these students, they were allowing class time to be dedicated to that. Okay. So, hey, if you're feeling, you know, like you want to protest, you know, feel free to, to, to go and, and do that during class when you're training to be a therapist. Yeah. That's strange. Completely That's strange. Out, completely out of place. Yeah. Education. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I kind of, you know, kept that in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. but it didn't impact my class directly. So I marched forward anyway. And I think by the time April rolled around, they weren't doing those protests anymore. Anyhow, it was just Mm -hmm. what they had done initially. Okay. So it really wasn't until I would say I became an affiliate. I went from an adjunct to an affiliate professor, which meant that I was actually then not just paid per class. I was actually on the payroll as a faculty member uh, in the department, which means two things. Number one, against the salaried position. The second component is that you have to take on some students to advise. So okay. everybody has an advisor and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? So, and then you get an office in the psychology department. And that was when I really noticed the change because as an adjunct professor, regardless of what, sorry about that, happens in and outside of the classroom, no one's really paying much attention unless there's complaints. Okay. So those okay. people can come in, they Pretty can teach and lead. Yes, yeah. totally. So you don't have to get sucked up into anything you don't want to be sucked up into and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you become a staff person and you mm-hmm. have an office in the psychology department, that's when you start to see some pretty frightening things. And so when that happened for me, I think it was 2018 at that point, okay. um, you know, I, the very first day that I went upstairs to go to my office, I saw signs plastered all over the walls that were, you know, intolerance will not be tolerated with like a, oh. you know, fist kind of, I don't know, I guess, shape on their, on, on the flyers that they were posting. And then there that were sounds all, like oh. a joke flyer almost. That sounds like yes. a joke for ages, that phrase. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. And then you see promote them promoting courses that are not even in our program, um, that are social, you know, activism, social justice minded, you know, courses and, and, and seminars that aren't even in the psychology department. So they don't really, we should, it is not that department's job. It's not even appropriate to be promoting other 
seminars that have nothing to do with psychology to psychology students. It just doesn't, there, there, you know, that to me was really, and I could tell you, I felt a heaviness on my chest. And I think this is the first time I've ever, ever said this out loud, even on a podcast or anywhere, but I felt in my body, this heaviness Mm. on my chest when I walked in you know, to my office and I was walking down the hallways and seeing all of these signs and, you know, the, the, the flags for LGBTQ, all of that was just jump, just dominant. And Mm. you could feel the tension. I mean, it was really Mm. crazy. I would sit in my office and sometimes in the hallway, I'd hear, you know, one of the core faculty and they'd be arguing with another one about these social, like, you know, the crises is what they were calling them. And and the fact that, you know, we don't have the d- democracy and I mean, it was just nuts. And I didn't really feel comfortable listening to it. It just mm-hmm. put me off. And like I said, I literally felt it in my body. That heaviness that you felt, was it, was it a sense of something's not right here or yeah. did you have, do you have words for that? What that was? Yeah. It was something's not right here not everybody has a voice that's going to be allowed here. You better think before you speak because Mm -hmm. there is one narrative and that's what was just crystal clear to me, uh, just right away. So I didn't feel like I would ever be protected. And And that must've been so strange coming from the prior, the the way that things had been taught when you were a student and when you were teaching which was this inclusiveness of all kinds of viewpoints. Yes. And respect for different viewpoints. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and one of my professors actually, um, interestingly enough, I didn't actually read my, when I was a student, I didn't read my evaluations at all. As long as I got credit for the class, I I didn't. And this past two, like two years ago, I pulled them out and I just, for the sake of it. And I read them. And one of them, one of the best evaluations I got was from one of the core faculty in the psychology department who runs a a series, a discussion series called Messy Conversations. I adored her and I got this amazing, you know, evaluation. So Messy Conversations, she launched this Series. And what were the messy conversations? Well, it was any professor, you know, of color, we are inviting you to come to like a round table discussion type of thing. It's how it was structured before COVID. Oh. If you're white, you, you, you know, we'd love to have you, but we don't want to hear from you. You just listen. So you're just going to listen and mm-hmm. they're going to sit there and tell you what it is that, you know, you're mm-hmm. complicit in mm-hmm. continuing to push through, you know, the, how you are complicit in, you know, systemic white supremacy, you know, mm-hmm. institutions, which is pretty much every single place you go. It doesn't matter whether it's the grocery store or it's JP Morgan doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah. that well, it was sounds like, they call that difficult dialogues at, yes. at, at Antioch now, I think something like that yes. kind of idea. Yes. And, you know, sh- you know, de- and I think there's now one that was just done called decolonize in 2021 called decolonizing yeah. your classroom. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And that's so little by little, that's kind of where I saw things going and I didn't feel comfortable talking to anyone. There was a lot of tension and it, it didn't, you know, 
people were not embracing each other. This whole idea of just, you know, being inclusive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put air quotes around that. Yeah. It's only inclusive if mm-hmm. you agree with whatever it is that this particular group is telling you to agree with. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't disagree with them because then you get boxed over here as being the, either a racist or, mm-hmm. you know, in some way you are you feeling toxic shame that you actually want to be white yourself. I mean, that's the type of stuff they were telling people of color. I don't even like the word people of color, but that's the kind of thing that they were internalized white supremacy, right? Internalized white supremacy. Internalized oppression. Yeah. Yes. And it's uh, then masculine, you know, then they started attaching like masculinity to that. Yeah. And you know, it was, so it was just starting to kind of show up in these different ways. And then I started to see it with students making appointments. Now as an advisor, I had this caseload. So they'd make appointments to come in and plan their classes. And I'd get to know them. Some of them I had in class too. And I had a few white males mm-hmm. uh, come in and say, you know, Hey, what, would you be my advisor? And I said, you know, sure. But you know, what's, what's wrong? Well, you know, my current advisor teaches a class and in that class, you know, I'm made to feel small. I'm made to feel um, unimportant and that I don't have a voice Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm a white man and I'm getting beaten down on pretty much every class. And I don't feel like I can say what I truly think and feel. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing is really uncomfortable, but I don't, you don't appear to be that way is Mm -hmm. what he said. Uh, and I never brought up those words in my classroom, but it was apparent probably mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, the way I taught uh, that I didn't hold that same values. That even, I hadn't even heard of the word woke until 2018 mm-hmm. uh, when I heard my boss actually using the word at the time. And in what kind of a way? So kind of yeah. embracing it? Yes. So okay. I have, well, and again, interestingly, you know, and she was a mentor of mine when I first started in 2017, you know, she had recommended that I show particular video. This was first a different class. I, by that point I was doing the grief classes and all of that, but now I was starting to teach other core uh, courses for the curriculum. And she suggested, I use this one documentary to talk about, um, you know, to have the students create like, a, you know, a vignette, right? So a case vignette, but it's based on a documentary versus us, you know, as the professors writing up a case, you know, that the students have to diagnose, they have to, you know, go through the entire assessment and then provide treatment recommendations, all of that. So this documentary documentary was used in place of that because it focused interestingly on a very poor white family. Okay. And she said to me, she did not want to and I suggested some other possibilities. And she said, you know, you can use some other possibilities, but I don't want to further the narrative that only black people are living in poverty and only black people have suffered and that they're victims. And she said, I don't want to support that. And I said, that's a really interesting approach. Okay. So you don't want to make this all about that. So I felt that was, it made sense to me and that she doesn't want to further the narrative that they're the only group that suffers or has suffered mm-hmm. the class it may, it plays a role here economic class right mm-hmm. yeah socioeconomic status so that was great so you know cut to a year later i'm teaching a class a group therapy class and um the students are you know forming their little therapy group and practicing how they would 
be co-leaders. And one of the students in the class uh, had written in his reflection paper that he thinks I hate men. And he wrote, so he wrote it directly to me saying, you, okay. you I think you hate men and hmm. you want to punish men. Hmm. And I found that quite interesting because this never came, it came up in the group, but it did hmm. not come up with the professor. Okay. Um, that this man felt that women, if you will, have become anti-man or anti-masculinity, mm-hmm. okay. whatever it was. Yeah. So I brought the reflection paper to my boss, who was his advisor. And I said, what do you think about this? I don't know if this guy's ready to be a therapist. I mean, this is quite a reaction. And she okay. said, oh, well, you know, I'm his advisor now and, and, you know, he wants to change to a black advisor and I'm your, you know, I'm his advisor now. And I said, Oh, well, what happened? And she goes, well, he's woke now. And that's the first time I heard oh. the word. And I said, woke. And I sat oh. there and I mean, immediately just knew what she meant. And I thought, oh. Oh my God. wow. Okay. So now everything that you kind of wanted to kind of just dis debunk a little bit mm-hmm. you're actually now reversing taking a step back and going in this dir- other direction mm-hmm. that's when the major shift and that was probably 2018 ish okay teen maybe and mm-hmm. I thought okay I don't like where this is going and I made a comment to her about well you know maybe it would be helpful for him to stay with his advisor maybe he might learn something mm-hmm. you know have conversations with somebody that is different from him maybe that would be helpful and she goes absolutely not no one knows what it's like to be black other than black people okay and i thought okay okay true and this is a psychology program we're not here to talk about what it means to be anything and yeah like it had no place this is like that trigger warning thing where we yes tailor yes. everything to everybody's yes. little yes we're going to coddle Yes, we're just going to make sure yes. that they have a curated experience instead of yes. learning the way that the, the program that they entered wants to teach them. Yes, that's yeah. a beautiful way of putting it, a curated experience. And to see her make that shift, that was very clear to me then that now the walls were going to start kind of closing in here. Interesting. Um, but they still gave us autonomy. Uh, and I still had these students and eventually I ended up getting hired full-time as a full-time, you know, faculty, which was sort of this coveted spot because I only have a master's degree. And unless you have a doctorate, you can't really be a core faculty at any school, mm-hmm. but there is this in the private school system, this layer called mm-hmm. teaching faculty, and they mm-hmm. will allow for you to have master level, um, professors. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people vying for a position. And I, and I got it and I hadn't even been working there that long, but people love my classes and you know, that was great. So I felt very honored by that. And I loved to teach. I fell in love with it. Just absolutely loved posing difficult questions and posing scenarios and, you know, really helping people kind of dig into the work. So I love that. Now as a faculty full-time now I'm getting access, not only to the, all the stuff that's on the walls. Mm-hmm. It's like promoting, you know, these, how to de-white your classroom and, you know, the, the colors of the flag classroom. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. All these in messy conversations where you learn about the, this racial trauma and kind of mm-hmm. all of that was already on the walls to now I'm now on the email lists. Now I'm on the internal okay. email for full-time staff. So now I'm seeing what they're actually really saying on mm-hmm. email paper mm-hmm. 
and what their new mandates were. So, you know, I saw they had a, you know, political position that they made very clear when Biden was inaugurated, uh, the email that we got now that, that was during COVID, we were working from home. The email that we got is that now we're going to restore our country to sanity. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's a really whole, strong position. Yes, they mm-hmm. have absolutely no business in telling anyone, you know, how to vote, who they should vote for. Like, yeah. where are what? Like, where have we? Well, like- that's the whole idea of democracy is that people are supposed to have a choice, but when they 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 yes. make it such a blatant yes attempt to influence and control your yes your, take away your democratic choice yes I, 100%. that's that's stunning to me it's been stunning to me about this school yes for the past several years yes so it only escalated from there and then there were a few you know kind of a couple of shoot, shootings and some terrible crises that that happened and the school's position again on email again just specifically internal mm-hmm. was about and then they had the ones that they sent to the students which said similar things actually uh in this one regard was that the previous administration so Trump's administration is the reason that they were all seeing these shootings all over the place now and we have a lot of work to clean up from a polarized uh country that that pushed white supremacy and thank god you know we're really grateful that president biden is going to work on you know eliminating racism and unifying us and all of this and so everything that happened that year was blamed on trump and i'm thinking why are we having a conversation about on email about Biden's position and then Trump's, you know, whatever he did to destroy the country, their, their perceived ideas of what yeah, he did. Yeah. It's all perceived, mm-hmm. you know? And so why is this going out? And that's when I realized I'm not going to be able to teach here. This is just not going to happen, but I kept going. And the final, I guess, email that was sent was about okay so george floyd died obviously was killed 2020 mm-hmm. um and that's i mean we a lot of the radicalism at antioch really blossomed at that point but mm-hmm. uh and i was teaching a class that very same day and it was just people were you know wanting to go into kind of these political play any places anyway it's mm-hmm. it was rough okay yeah. uh, but when the anniversary came around that email that came out was about okay uh now as we're trying to heal from all of this division and racial trauma that's been inflicted upon people of color pock bipoc was initially it mm-hmm. uh, from the previous administration we have every full faith and confidence that you as professors will be addressing issues of social justice in your classrooms mm-hmm. and helping to be, uh, helping students feel that there's a more inclusive and equitable space. And we mm-hmm. trust that that's what you're doing. It was wow. never officially mandated, yeah. but, but it's like a partisan purity test. Bingo. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah. And I showed it to my soon to be husband. And I said, I no, this is a big no for me. Yeah. I, I can't do all this. This is not going to work. 
So, I mean, I was infuriated and I, and I still kind of tried to, you know, I, I pushed, I, you know, I, 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 I was outside of the box. That's the kind of professor I was. So I kind of pushed their buttons a little bit, you know, and I said to them once, you know, what, what would you do if your client voted for Trump? And they said, I absolutely can't work for anyone who voted, work with anyone who voted for Trump. I'm like mm-hmm. you can't work with like 50% of the population then. Well, this was you talking with the students or with students, the, the students? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I would always be that the was something that was said to me by yes. I, I pointed that out in, in one or two of my videos. One of the my advisor said, and she was laughing about it. She's like, we're fully aware that, you know, we're we're not we're no longer training people who are going to be able to work with the Trump supporter. Yep. And so this was known. <laughs> this was uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was known. Yeah. And so you can't speak the name. No. And Loyola Marymount, by the way, which is down the street from Antioch, required that all of the professors and faculty removed American flags from their classrooms. So, yeah, that was a mandate. I have I have the memo from a friend of mine who worked there that they needed to take down all the flags. So even putting up a United States flag was considered to be racist, inflammatory, you know, pushing white supremacy, whatever your country. Yes. That's all it symbolizes yes. to them. Yes, that's all. It, yes, mm-hmm. I mean we need to hate this country. So when that stuff got inserted, I I realized, and there was always a space on the evaluations that said, "Is this person, you know, involved in social justice enough?" And I didn't care for that. I couldn't what, measure it from the teachers measuring the students' involvement in social. Really? Yeah. So the evals wow. started to yeah. So the evals oh, I didn't know on. that. That's interesting. Wow. Is this, are they familiar with, or are they showing competency okay. in being able to work in a, you know, social justice minded, you know, I can't get the uh-huh. exact, I don't remember them, but, in a, and I had a hard time with the evaluations because I, that was always the one area where I thought, I don't know what you're trying to say here and what I'm supposed to be looking for. Uh-huh. Um, so it's okay. Pass. I mean, I didn't get that. Uh, yeah. so that was already kind of, again, laying the, the groundwork, but as long as I had autonomy, I sort of pushed the, the, you know, pushed the envelope a little bit and I did what I wanted to do, but then the attacks started coming personally from the students mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was no longer against you. Okay. Against me. So what did that look like? So I had, um, one student, well, so I showed, and I, I mentioned this maybe on other places. I hope it's not too repetitive, but I had um, shown this video about a really interesting new model of treating addiction that night because addiction and treatment was also one of my classes that I taught. I worked at several facilities in different positions. I mean, I had been doing this for 18 years. I was in a lot of, you know, populations and different kinds of jobs in this industry. So I taught that class. I loved it. Anyway, I found this amazing new model. There was a TED talk that, um, that this woman, this fire uh, department chief woman in West Virginia was talking about this model of treatment for, um, you know, they got a lot of calls for overdoses, things like that. And, and so she was talking about this integrated treatment plan that was helping reduce overdose and reduce, you know, deaths in general, and also the increase in people actually accepting help for their, for their addiction. I mean, it was just great. I mean, the numbers were great and this was West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Well, 
it's mostly white, but it's like the poorest state in the country and not, they don't all have plumbing. And I think a lot yeah. of people do that, you yeah. know, my sister taught in West Virginia, actually, interestingly enough for a while, there are students that had no plumbing. I mean, this is true. This is not a, you know, um, so extreme poverty, extreme poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, so the, the, you know, there were some really great, you know, kind of tools, you know, that this woman, this program she came up with. And so I really loved it and I showed it and, you know, I showed it in the, the quarter before and that class kind of made a comment about the fact that she's a white lady. So they didn't, you know, really feel like they wanted to listen to her mm-hmm. talking about this. But it was this class I taught after when I showed that very same video where it became very apparent I wasn't going to be able to keep pushing an envelope without getting eventually complained about. Wow. I showed it and the outrage in the classroom. So, I mean, people, and this we're on Zoom, so it's hard to control, but people are going on. You, you know, you lost me the minute I saw a white woman walk on stage. Oh my gosh. Could you ever support? what they're doing to save people from the opioid crisis, which is a white person disease, addiction disease. This is what they're telling me versus what you didn't do for blacks during the crack epidemic in the eighties. It's not the eighties people, you know, this is 2022 or 21, what it was 2020. You were a kid in the eighties. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. We can't reverse. So they don't care about Blacks who are living in poverty because they didn't save them. Opioid crises are a white person's mm-hmm. addiction. Mm-hmm. Wow. So compassion is flying out the window completely now. Now it's not only is it not compassionate, it's not even humanizing people mm-hmm. that suffer from these conditions. Mm-hmm. So to tie it back into this whole first class I taught about not ranking grief, mm-hmm. well, I could no longer do that. Now I started to have to rank it according to the school's position on social justice that they trust their faculty will insert into every class, which means that we need to look at all the ways in which a particular client is marginalized, disenfranchised, et cetera, et cetera, intersectionality, all these fun Mm -hmm. words that they're coming up with. It's word salad, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a way of ranking pain. That's just what I'm going to say. All those words are a way of ranking pain. That's what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So when I said so this, I antithetical to what you were teaching completely, you know, like even in the DSM, I think under life adjustments, right. The, the diagnosing manual, which I'm sure you're very familiar with mm-hmm. under adjustment disorders. I think that the one that ranks the highest is actually uh, to parent uh, for a parent whose child dies. Uh, that I don't know if that changed and uh, has changed, but that was, I think, as recent as the DSM four, mm-hmm. uh, followed by divorce, followed by job loss. Okay, so mm-hmm. they even sort of rank loss yeah. and the pain, right? Mm-hmm. So we were having a conversation in my grief class, and I was telling them the story about this family who, you know, was prominent and had a lot of money, and their kid killed himself. There was that was one, another one who the, one of the children saw the dad murder the mom in the oh middle of the yeah. street, in a beautiful yeah. area of, you know, the San Fernando Valley out here. Mm-hmm. And so when I brought those two cases into the class immediately, I said, okay, so if the same thing happened to a black parent, 
you know, what would, what, what would be the difference? Because at the end of the day, their parents, whose children died, like yeah. the trauma, mm-hmm. well, this person has access to more resources and that person doesn't. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be worse for the person who doesn't. Okay. So now we're ranking pain and who deserves treatment based on the color of their skin, based on their gender, based on your perceived notions on what privilege means. I'm not saying privilege doesn't exist, but there's a perceived automatic assumption and association of black with resources automatically. That's like when, what Biden's quote about, uh, what did he say? Poor kids and white kids. Yes. I mean, that's, you didn't make, you didn't, you didn't talk about, you didn't address the resource access. Yes. Yeah. So it's an assumption. It's completely. A, yeah. Yeah. And I worked at the support center, right. We, people came to our center for free. We would arrange transportation. We went out and, you know, did grief groups at school. So the parents didn't have to come to us. I mean, it was absolutely the most inhumane, I think, uh, to say, uh, comment, uh, you know, to, to, to make that, that who cares about those white people and their kid who died? So what they have money. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, and this is a counseling student. Yeah. That was the, and that's the grief. Okay. And my, the grief yeah. class I loved the most, I was the most expert in those. And, you know, I just had the most fun teaching them and whatnot. Yeah, that started to happen in my grief classes. And I've said to them, you know, have you ever sat with a parent who's had a child die? They will tell you that they will give up everything they own and live in a shack in poverty for the whole rest of their life to have their child alive. Okay. So that I just, at that point, it was now, now my, my love for teaching coupled with my love for teaching grief in particular has just been stripped at that point. And there was no coming back from that for me. In fact, I, we went on a break, um, during the class and I had not set the timer, which I normally do. And I came back to the, to the zoom, like 20 minutes late. I mean, I was so distraught. I think when that comment was made that day that when we went on break and I didn't check, I mean, it's probably some unconscious, you know, defense, you know, because I needed to get a hold of myself. And I went and I didn't tell anybody this story, but I'll say it now. I went into the office where my, you know, uh, husband, soon to be husband, we're getting married in a couple months. Um, but where he was, and I just cried and cried and cried. And I just, just fell apart. Wow. And I just said, I, this is just my love. And, and I've nurtured, you know, this particular topic and this issue. And again, it's so close to my heart because I've, you know, been, been through it. I mean, it's a profound experience and it's a universal one. All humans will experience it at some point, you know, um, what a loss for you. I mean, yeah, you, it was horrible. You and built I, that career, you built yes. that, that curriculum, yes. you loved teaching and you're watching it just be sort of stripped apart by these, yes. by these intolerant. Yes. Like ideologies, these, these people who yes. are now and it. The thing that is really striking about what you're saying, and it it aligns with my experience and with what I've heard other people say is, you know, this isn't just coming from the faculty. It's not just coming from the school. It's surrounding. It's in the students. It's it's being cultivated in the population. And that's, I mean, that's really stunning. Because one of my other job responsibilities was 
admissions, doing admissions interviews. So on our criteria of whether or not we're going to accept, you know, a student or not, Mm -hmm. one of those big points was how social, socially conscious are they? Mm-hmm. And if you do not social, social justice, justice, okay, so, yeah, social justice, justice consciousness, it was something like that. Are they conscious of the social okay. justice, you know, issues that we're facing and these crises that we're having in the systemic, you know, racism? It's pervasive, mm-hmm. and so that was a determining factor. And if they didn't say anything about it or had no experience to share about it, they would not be accepted. Um, you you could be a student that was applying that had, I don't know, not a single, you know, just their essay is you're reading it like a kindergartner wrote it. Okay. It just clearly did not, you know, they probably couldn't handle graduate level work, but -hmm. if they answered that question about social justice consciousness in the way that the administration wanted, that was an immediate acceptance Mm -hmm. immediately. So I push people through the system become therapists that I did not believe correct wow several that I did not believe belong there I myself because eventually you know you start kind of getting you start choking the on the kool-aid I don't even want to say drinking the kool-aid literally it's like choking yeah and you're starting to think maybe this is true what am I missing oh my gosh okay but this is still awful well when you're drenched in it like that and it surrounds you everywhere it's really it becomes normal to you Completely. Even if you still don't agree with it, it feels like there's a weird sort of like learned helplessness. Yes. Which is my tagline on the first video I did is about this learned helplessness idea. And that was just, you know, so, I mean, I was passing people and doing everything that everybody else was doing Mm -hmm. in order to not get complained about in order to keep my job, all that Mm -hmm. stuff that people get worried about. You know, you can't really talk about heterosexual um, white male sexuality in human sexuality class. No, it's, it's called cis heteronormativity and it's very, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of, again, you know, white male students come to me that were like floundering because of these things. And so, you know, I had multiple, you know, issues with my neck surgeries, whatnot. So the final surgery I had number after number four, my doctor was like, you need to just not work for a while because I was going right back after my surgeries. So I stopped for a while. That is when it was so clear that I will never be able to return to Antioch university to teach ever again, ever. It was not away from it. Yep. I was away from it for long enough that I started to think about what I was doing what I was saying, what I was allowing to happen in my class, what I was allowing in terms of admissions, what I was allowing in terms of, you know, what the school promoted that I had to go into class supporting Biden, Mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things. Um, And I I just couldn't bear it. And I had this conversation with my partner and I just said, I don't, I got to figure something out. This this isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So it was when I was away from it, I realized how absolutely, you know, just, it's a very, uh, it's, it's just, it's a religion. It's, I, I don't know. It's a condition. I, I don't know. It's something. And, and I, I, I was sucked in. Yeah. So it's like, I saw So, you know, you got a lot of cognitive dissonance there. It's like, I saw yeah. it Yeah. It awful. And I felt awful walking through the halls that I couldn't 
say something because I, you know, would be taken as somebody that didn't, wasn't socially aware or, or justice minded, whatever. Yeah. So I never really made friends. And then at the same time, you know, I'm sitting here going, the words are coming out of my mouth almost because mm-hmm. I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, hard. I was not feeling like my authentic self here. And yeah. so, so I left. So, and I, and when I quit, so, you know, all along the, dis- that time I was on disability and just looking around, I kind of, you know, started to shift my focus um, and, you know, start to want to speak out about this. And that's when I started to look around at jobs and, and, you know, positions where I could use my skill set um, in a way that, you know, we had a platform that, really kind of would oppose what's Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. and why it's damaging. And I happened to find an organization that really aligned with that. And so, you know, I made a video for them, but before that I did resign, Mm -hmm. um, to, to the provost. And and I was actually very honest. I told them I was resigning, that I don't support Mm -hmm. um, the, the, these values that they're insisting that I teach or incorporate. And Mm -hmm. the response was, well, a lot of the professors don't, but we have to do something about diversity. So what we have, wow, that was even, that was what they responded with. Yeah, that was a response. And I was, I mean, I was bummed. I didn't record it, but, um, that was, was it was verbally told to you then I was verbally told by the provo again I don't I cannot prove this because I don't have I didn't report it but that was sickening to me that so you're telling me other professors say this and other professors talk about this and they're concerned that this is not the way to approach you know issues of diversity and whatever and doing it anyway you're doing it anyway because that's that sounds like did you watch the conversation with Neil he talked about that in his program I don't know if you know Neil from CTA. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not as connected. Yeah, yeah. He he talked about that. He complained to the administration. He wrote a letter about how he couldn't continue in his counseling program. And the response that he received from the the founder, I believe, of the school was, I don't agree with it either, but we have to do it in order to keep our funding. And so there you go. Yeah. Wow. I know. I know. It sounds just like what you were told. I mean, wow. That word for word. Yeah. Because they ended up getting a whole bunch of money during the kind of the COVID thing or whatever and grants that they had never had before those grants and that money most likely came with conditions. This is what I've wondered too. the HERF fund, the higher education emergency relief fund. I yes. wondered, I've looked through it. I'm trying to find, is there something in here that requires the schools who accept this to push this stuff? Because it ramped up so significantly. Yeah, my, I, I believe so. <clears throat> I will say I do not have that written on paper anywhere. I don't, no, I don't either have it recorded. Anywhere, but that's my sense because uh-huh. of the way that he talked about, we don't really have any other way to yeah. integrate diversity or whatever into these programs. We, we need something. So this is the best we've got. Yeah. So I, I assume that, that funding has to do with it, uh, quite, quite a bit. And then, so then it folds into this politics piece, which then becomes a bigger mm-hmm. kind of chaotic umbrella. And you know what, I'm going to say this, even with the vaccine situation, mm-hmm. the vaccine situation. So you were not allowed on campus if you weren't going to be vaccinated. And mm-hmm. I was not going to be vaccinated and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And they eventually removed the mandate actually. 
interestingly enough. I was surprised because most higher, you know, education institutions kept it for at least much longer. But it was initially, you know, voluntary. And then it was, you know, we're doing a survey and, you know, for the comfort level of everyone. And then it was, okay, it's going to be required. And they created a database center for you to upload all of your stuff and keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that to me, you know, the emails that went out about that was, we are so excited that it is now our turn to go get these shots. And we're so excited uh, that, you know, we are out here doing, saving humanity from COVID. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. see, I'm, and I don't, I can't believe I didn't save this stuff. We're I, doing I have our moral emails from I'm them sure as well. I have, Perfect. Yeah, I have those. And I have one where I wrote to the chancellor, Bill Groves, and I, I said, I'm really concerned about the tone of this vaccine uh, thing. I don't, I don't want my school mandating yep. my medical care. Yep. And he gave me his assurance that they would never do such a thing. They would <laughs> never do that. He wrote that in an email. We would never do that. And then uh, I sent that back to him when, when they sent out the one uh, mandating it. So did um, he respond to that? Yeah, yeah, he did. Actually, it's quite a chain. I can maybe post those sometime if people want to see them. I could put them on. I think Substack. people would love to see them. I'm just going to say there's a big back and forth there. Yeah, I I know we both have an out right now. Oh. We both have stuff to do, but I yes. I feel like we've just like barely touched on what we what we need to talk about. Um, yeah. I I hope maybe we can do this again next week. Yes, let's set up Absolutely. a time and I'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, great. Yeah, let, perfect. That sounds. Yeah. Great. This was so much fun. And I would yeah. absolutely love to just, yes, let's just chat again. Okay. Awesome. And I thank Where you so goes. much for, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I feel like just, you just opened it up and I have so many questions. And so I can't wait to. Yes. To more. This is great. Well, it's been so, so wonderful being with you um, today. Yeah. So I'm totally honored and privileged that, you know, you invited me to come and, and do oh, this. Same, same. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for, for this, this wonderful conversation. And I look forward to continuing it. Sounds good. All right. All right.